Welcome to episode number five of The Funding Coach. My name is Don Gooding, and I'm the founder of Four Colors of Money for Entrepreneurs, a blog, podcast, training videos, and other resources, all designed to help you figure out what's the right mix of bootstrapping, grants, loans, and equity, and especially figure out what you should be doing now to get the right color of money for you. Here on The Funding Coach, I help real businesses with real funding problems so that you can figure out how to start and grow your business. In this episode, I interview Ben Nussbaum, who recently won his college pitch competition, Bobcat Ventures at Bates College, for his second startup idea, a new physical retail concept for online brands called Floor. You may have seen pictures of pitch competition winners before holding those big checks and wondered, well, what are they going to do now? This episode will give you a glimpse into one college entrepreneur's plans. I hope you enjoy the interview. Ben Nussbaum of Floor, welcome to The Funding Coach. Thanks for having me here, Don. So let's start off with just a bit of background. Uh, can you tell the audience a bit about yourself and how you came up with the idea for the company? Sure. So a little background on myself. I'm currently a junior at Bates College in Lewiston, Maine, and I have been involved with the Bobcat Ventures program at Bates College, which is really a student-run, all students involved competing for pretty much to raise a little bit of seed money through, through the final competition every March. It's an annual competition. So leading up to that competition annually, we have many students. This year, we had 14 different teams Every Saturday, we would go through a different, a different segment of the startup process. We would have someone talk about legal or kind of working through your ideas. What customers should I, should I talk to? How many customers should I talk to? So that is really a two-semester-long process. Last year, I was actually working on something in the certified e-commerce space, and it didn't really work out. It went from more of a technical play to an insurance play. But just being involved in that process the whole time was, was definitely beneficial. So this year... I wanted to do something less technical, something that I thought I had more of a grasp on upfront. I have a general interest in the real estate market, and I, you know, I read a lot online and kind of, kind of see some of the trends that are going on. And I realized that there was a lot of literature on the death of traditional retail. I didn't really believe that. I believe that there's more of a transition taking place, and really just through a discovery process, I ended up figuring out or what I believed, you know, has some potential to say, hey, you know, why don't we target experience-based retail for some apparel brands, uh, smaller footprint locations in downtown areas. And that's really how the idea kind of developed. And that was really the end of 2017. And then I really, from there, kind of have been working toward that final pitch competition in March. Got it. Which was, which was great. So you've gone through the process a couple times now, and you won this year as a junior. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So now that you've gone from conceptualizing an opportunity in an area of interest to putting together a business model uh, and a pitch and you've won, what do you think the next steps are to try to turn this idea into something that's real? 
Right. So what I learned from last year was basically I kind of had an idea and I was polishing it and thinking about it and really talking it over with the only person being myself. And I got it kind of down. I willed down this idea. I was like, all right, I believe, you know, this is exactly perfect. I pitched. I hadn't even really spoken to many customers. I had talked to a few dealerships, you know, which was kind of my target market. And it really didn't work out. So this year I kind of threw that, passed out the, at the window. And the first thing I did was I went and I started talking to some retail apparel brands. That is what I believe to be my target market. And I said, you know, before I'm even, I didn't even really know exactly what I wanted to pitch, but I said, I'm going to go talk to some brands. Before the pitch, I had talked to about 40, 45 different retail apparel brands. And I got about 16 people or 16 brands to say, hey, this would be interesting, but I don't like this aspect of it. So that was really the single most valuable thing. Moving forward, I think that, I mean, I'm not entirely sure, but I think that's my first step just to continue talking to my potential customer and see if I can figure something out a little more clearly. Got it. We're recording this uh, in late April. Are you going to be doing anything this summer to push the business forward? Yeah. So I've decided to um, extend this venture full time through the summer. In in a couple parts, I most likely will be joining uh, joining Learn Launch in Boston, Mass, which is an education technology startup accelerator program and a co working space. So although that I'm not in the education technology market. There's a co-working space of 40 plus different companies. So I'm planning on joining there, renting deck space, getting involved kind of in that atmosphere and then doing this full time. So like I said, I think if I do commit to this full time and I am planning on that, the first step is to talk to customers and really figure out what I'm trying to do. So that's the next stage is to go put yourself in a co-working space surrounding yourself with entrepreneurs who are maybe not doing things exactly what you're doing, but at least they're all in the startup mode. So mm-hmm. have you thought about, well, the fact that you are probably going to go back to school or have you contemplated doing the dropping out thing? And I don't know whether your parents are listening to this and whether they want to hear this for the first time on a podcast. No, I'll, I'll be 100% going back to school. I got one year left at Bates. But I have a lot of time to dedicate to this. And I think beyond this, the, you know, the, the, the singular venture, it's just an interesting process. I've never really gone through it to this extent before. Not to mention Bates College is obviously within Maine and there's a lot of support within Maine. So heading down like I've been doing the last two years to Portland, you know, once a week to talk to some people or kind of just keep keeping tabs over the phone is completely doable. Great. So how much did you win and what are you going to be doing with that funding in order to move this idea forward? I won uh, first prize, which was $9,000, which is, uh, I think, a, a sizable start. So like I said, I think in my mind, really what I'm looking to do is if I can take some tentative, uh, some customers, some, some retail apparel brands that are interested in, in what I'm pitching to them, and see if I can get some tentative signatures or people to really commit to me, then I can pass that along to additional funding sources or additional interesting partners and say, listen, not only do I have someone who's interested, but they've put pen to paper. 
where they have committed that if this store does open, they will rent X amount of square feet, something like that. I think if I can use this money to convert some tentative signet or some tentative interest into like a, a signed lease agreement or even like a tentative signed lease agreement, I think that would be most valuable. But obviously, I'm still looking for guidance on that whole process. Can you just elaborate a little bit on your revenue model, how the business is going to make money? So in simple, our revenue model is we rent a retail location in a highly foot traffic downtown area, a smaller space. So we rent 2,000 square feet of retail in downtown Portland. We pay you know, whatever we pay, and then we sublet out all the different table and wall space. And the sum of those individual rents is more than what we pay for the larger location. And we kind of pocket that difference. And so since commercial real estate is central to how you're going to be making money, how many commercial real estate people have you been talking to? Because I heard you talk about connecting with a bunch of brands who would be customers. But what about the other side, the commercial real estate folks? Right. So the commercial real estate folks, I don't think are as really as an integral part of this because really what I'm doing is renting a single storefront location and it could be that person could rent to a myriad of different tenants. So I'm really coming in, working with them to do a build out around the experience, but I'm managing the store on a day to day basis with customer service, with sales representatives, with any tech or, you know, point of sales uh, software that I bring in there. So as far as the commercial real estate sector, I don't really think that's that integral. But again, I'm looking for places that are downtown, highly foot traffic, 1,000 to 2,500 square feet. So, you know, it's really just finding the logistics around that. And then obviously, if I can, you know, work a deal with some of these people or, or kind of see how that plays out. I'm going to poke a little bit at that assumption because it just so happens that uh, my wife and I are friends with one of the biggest uh, commercial real estate people in Maine. And I want to talk about the problem that you're solving. You've certainly identified a problem, which is the retail apocalypse that's happening right now with lots and lots of retail locations closing down. That actually is a pretty big pain point, I would imagine, for people in commercial real estate. Uh, Let me just jump in here, not to cut you off. The problem is not that commercial real estate is transitioning or commercial real estate is dying. And I'm really trying to help, you know, commercial real estate tenants or retail tenants kind of rework around that. The real issue and the real problem is that there are thousands now of pure play online apparel retailers that are born. So it's, it's a myriad of people working on different products saying, Hey, I'm starting a a small t-shirt company, or I have a larger company, but I smell, I sell unique you know, men's menswear or, or shoes or fragrances or anything like that. And the problem is that these brands can't really get exposure online. First of all, they have f- high fit and feel attributes that really can't be replicated online. So if I'm a new upstart apparel brand trying to differentiate my shirts through textile, I can't replicate that online. Taking a picture of a shirt doesn't accurately represent my product. And additionally on that, if I open a Shopify store or if I do some other things to really gain exposure online, Facebook marketing, Instagram marketing, whatever it is, getting that exposure is difficult. So what I'm offering to solve that pain point of really these brands trying to gain exposure to new customers or just generally to customers, 
opening that, like I said, highly foot traffic area built around experience and having one of these brands instead of fight over, you know, eyeballs online or on Facebook, they can really rent out space from me and everybody who's walking around in downtown Portland can come in and kind of experience that brand firsthand. And that online apparel brand, what I'm offering them is a simply a simple month to month expansion fee into retail. This episode of The Funding Coach is brought to you by Branding Compass. You probably know that building a brand is important, right? But you don't have tens of thousands of dollars lying around to pay a branding company. And that is why the interactive online tool Branding Compass was created just for companies like you. It's kind of like working with an award-winning branding firm, but for a fraction of the price. Branding Compass walks you through the questions that a branding company would typically ask. And if you need some help on some of those questions, well, Branding Compass includes a course to help you build a stronger brand while you're going through this process. The system provides automated expert advice, so you get really useful output. This includes recommendations for a color palette, typefaces, and imagery, as well as a unique value proposition and even an ideal customer profile. And that's just for the basic version of Branding Compass. If you need more help, you can get it. I was a beta customer for Branding Compass, and I found it extremely helpful. You can see my customer testimonial at brandingcompass.com. And while you're there, sign up for the Branding Compass plan that's right for you and use the coupon code, the funding coach, all one word, all lowercase, to save $10 on any licensing option. Now, I understand the business. I've got my bootstrapping entrepreneur funding brain on right now, because as I think about you trying to get this launched, your primary cost is going to be the commercial real estate and the primary determinant of whether or not you're making a profit is a combination of being able to secure both effective and affordable real estate, as well as the ability to attract the brands. So as I'm looking at your business and the funding required, if you can find a commercial real estate owner or a renter that sees your vision and understands a lot about the pain points in the commercial real estate market, specifically with regards to retail... I think you may be able to find some creative sources of funding, both on the equity side, because they really understand that marketplace, but perhaps also on a business partner side, that they'll be able to cut you a deal early on to help you get launched, because if you're successful, then you're going to be solving a problem for them over the long term. I I agree. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that. I haven't really thought about that, but obviously that would be that would be ideal on many fronts. Well, that's part of my job is to try to help you think about some other sources of funding, particularly on the the operating side, because a lot of entrepreneurs end up succeeding because they have figured out cleverly how to find 
a bunch of people who all have problems. And when you put it all together in a clever deal, that's where you can really make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's turn a little bit to the equity side. I looked at your profile on LinkedIn, and it looks like you've been an analyst for the Learn Launch Accelerator. So sounds like you're getting up to speed by being there on the equity side of the process. Have there been any specific questions that have come up in the process that uh, I might be able to be helpful to you on uh, at this point? Yeah, what I kind of commented on earlier was I think my first my first next step is to talk to customers and see if I can get some, you know, turn some tentative agreements into more signed lease agreements or something of that sort. Is that what I should be doing or should I be going a different angle or, or really how should I be going about this? I absolutely think that is critical because having customers validate that it's an idea that they not only think is a good idea, but they're actually willing to spend money on. That's uh, what uh, investors really want to see. Again, I'm going to come back to the, the real estate side of things. I think this summer, I'd encourage you to look at real estate tech startups to understand what the landscape looks like there, because again, there may be some investors who are familiar with commercial real estate and comfortable with the space who may actually be prospective investors in your company in the future, uh, rather than perhaps the more traditional tech-oriented investors. Obviously, though, because you are a retail play, there are other kinds of investors who are comfortable investing in retail plays. And I'm guessing that you've done a little bit of research on that. Have you gone looking in crunch space yet? I have. So I'm actually in New York City right now, and I had identified four different companies that were doing very similar to what I've been doing. So there's a Y Combinator-backed company named Bulletin that does essentially what I'm pitching for women's only brands. There's Beta, which does essentially this for tech products. And then I actually checked out Bonobos and Warby Parker, who are men's apparel and eyeglassware respectively, kind of doing this inventory-free model. I wasn't really sure I'd never been to one of their stores. So these four different locations yesterday, actually, I went and I went around and I went to all the different stores, these four stores. I met with the managers at each and I kind of just was, you know, being as nosy as possible, trying to figure out, you know, watching some customers in the stores and really and really trying to look at not only what other people are doing, but but how could I better them or or I, you know, I, I'm going down the wrong path. But it was really just an inquisitive process. So that was yesterday. And yeah, I do plan to hopefully, you know, I'm always on, on Crunchbase or on, on, on some of the news trying to pull together. And I have people who will send me some things every once in a while. Hey, you should check out this. Or you should check out this. But that's just part of the process. So I think what you're doing, that is a good step towards making potential investors comfortable with uh, the fact that you've got a good idea. You've done research. There are comparables. That's also good trying to be better than them, that's also good. I think the final step is also potentially looking at the investors in these uh, online consumer brands that you're going to be helping uh, to see whether or not there are any 
prospective investors in those kind of companies who will see that your alternative is going to be helping them. One other thing that I, I think you had mentioned perhaps in an email in the prep for this podcast, that some of the brands that you've been talking to have said they were thinking about this as a part of their overall marketing spend. Can you elaborate on that just a little bit? That was the most interesting thing I had come across through this this whole process. I was at a main trade show about a month and a half ago, and I spoke to Flowfold, which I don't know if you're familiar with Flowfold or for I the am. people listening who are familiar. So Flowfold pretty much came to me and they said, listen, I'm in LL Bean, I'm in EMS, I'm in REI, and I'm some in big box retails. They do 90 plus percent of my sales as pretty much similar brands. It would be the same, you know, the same model, right? I have 150 other retailers who account for single digit sale numbers. They said, there's no way you could come to me and doesn't matter what you say, where you are and pitch yourself and have me interested where you're just another smaller retailer. He says, it, it, you know, I, I do sell 150 smaller retails, but I don't really care that much. That's not where I put my customer service. That's not where I put my team. He said, but if, and he goes, if I break it down as a sales cost analysis, it doesn't matter what you say. But if you come to me and you pitch this as an advertising play where I'm not really looking to sell product to compete with LL Bean, which is an impossible task, but rather you can tell me that I can get my product downtown in Portland on the seaport and for $500 a month, I can have a thousand new customers touch and discover my product. And he said, now I'm not doing the sales cost breakdown, but I'm pulling that rent check out of my advertising budget. And he said, if you come to me with something like that, I would be interested. So that was the first, I had never thought about that. That was the first time I ever heard some, something like that. And I think that is interesting and it might have some validity to that. I need to explore that further. So I'd like you to encourage you to pursue that because venture funding of marketing-oriented companies is a significant chunk. A lot of it is focused on the digital side, but figuring out how you can be complementary to some of the leading digital marketing tools so that you know any data that you're collecting feeds automatically into those systems uh, and Again, you're, you're part of the marketing spend and integrated, and it's very easy for the entrepreneurs to add you to, to that and analyze the impact of that. Seems like that's also going to be an extremely important part of the process. Have, have you talked to any either digital marketing tech companies or traditional marketing advertising agencies to see what they think? I have not. That was really... That conversation with Flowfall is the only time I heard that, but I went back. I actually backtracked and took a little different path. I was looking at some of the research, looking at the dollars going in and out of advertising, marketing, and I know that pitching this, I, I believe, as an advertising play would be more appealing to both VCs and brands than as a sales cost play because then I'm really just like another retailer. I might be so much better than just another retailer. But I believe that I'd be grouped with them. So if we're looking at more like an advertising play, if we can give back standard advertising metrics saying this is how many people saw your product, this is how many people interacted, this is how many people asked questions about your product, that would be interesting. But to answer your question directly, I have not gone down that specific path. Okay. Hopefully now I've 
come up with a bunch more work for you to do this summer to help move this venture forward. It does sound like the $9,000 will be helpful to move your business forward and hopefully get to the launch or maybe come to the decision that, no, this isn't actually the right thing to launch. Uh, You're at that stage where you're still in the discovery mode and I do want to say it's okay if you decide that this is not going to work. It sounds intriguing to me, but as I think you recognize, there's a lot more work to go. So is there anything else that I can be helpful on? I do have one final question. Kind of talking about my next step, I should go talk to customers, try and, try and you know, uh, turn some of these, you know, really just interested clients into, into an, an agreement. Um, what I was thinking up front to really help kind of define what I'm pitching to these brands is to get some store renderings done to really offer, hey, not only will this look like the store, but this is the specific space that can be offered. This is how the build out works, kind of help them envision their product in there and spending money kind of on those design renderings. Would that be something that is beneficial or, or don't go down that path? Let's see. I think you need to go back to some of the brands and ask the general question, what are the things that I would need to do to be able to show you to make you comfortable that this is, in fact, something you're ready to spend money on? I think if you ask that as a general question rather than the specific question, I think you'll get better feedback because you're not priming them to say, oh, yeah, that would be great, because maybe that is great, but that's actually not the most important thing for them to be able to get to yes. Does that make sense? Right. I understand that. But if a bunch of them do say yes, then absolutely, I think that could be a very good use of funds, not only to get the brands to the point that they're going to write you that letter, but also to help convince potential funders that you actually do understand the merchandising part of retail, because ultimately you need to be really, really good at merchandising these products and give the brands the flexibility to show them in the best possible way uh, so for their advertising dollars to be effective. Right. All right. Well, that, that was awesome, Don. That was hugely helpful. Well, I look forward to keeping track of your success and definitely feel free to keep in touch by email as you move the business forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Bye-bye now. Thank you. I hope you found this interview thought-provoking. I like talking to entrepreneurs at all stages of development, including super early stages like where Ben is at. And as usual, I have a lot more to say, which you'll hear in episode six. I know a fair amount about college entrepreneur competitions and pitch competitions in general, which I'll share. And I'll talk a bit more about the customer development process that he's going through. I've taught hundreds of entrepreneurs about it, and I'll talk about how important that is to getting investor funding. With that, I'm going to wrap up this episode. Please make sure you head on over to fourcolorsofmoney.com. That's F-O-U-R, colorsofmoney.com, where I've included some links and resources related to today's show. 
You can leave your thoughts there about Ben and what you think he ought to be doing next with that big check for $9,000. Or you can head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. This is a new podcast in a highly competitive market, and ratings and reviews are key to us getting visibility. So if you want to support these kinds of open discussions with entrepreneurs about funding challenges, please take a minute when you're not driving or working out or whatever you do when you're listening to podcasts and head on over to iTunes. I very much appreciate you listening, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon here on The Funding Coach.